0: I just want to encourage you to meditate on the Word of God because I find that the effect of my meditation as your pastor in my studies is that there are these passages that I would very easily skim over if I was just doing a very quick reading without the meditation. But when I really slow down and enjoy this this very succulent meal, I the things that come out i'm just i think how could i have not worshiped and how could i have not just rejoiced in this phrase before now a, a few weeks ago for me actually i guess it wasn't so much a few but uh last week and the week before the phrase that i i couldn't get past was because as he is, so also are we in this world. And uh, if you remember the last couple of Sundays, you remembered that that was just my emphasis and I wasn't getting over it, wasn't moving very quickly past it. Um, I wanted you to experience the savoring of that and the richness of it yourself. And I never highlighted my Bibles. I just, I don't know why. I just, I think that maybe later on, I'm going to look back at something I highlighted and say, why did I highlight that and not the next thing? Or why did I make that note? You know, I should have said it a different way or, or something like that. Uh, so I've, I never highlighted my Bibles, but I highlighted that phrase. As he is, so also are we in this world. It's, it's just so good. And that changes everything. It changes life. It changes perspective. Well, I have a word for you from 1 John 5 like that today. That is, is just so good. It, it changes life. It changes perspective. It's a deep word to meet our deep needs. You know, at the beginning of this year, I told our church family in one sermon that someone here would suffer more than expected this year. And I'm not a prophet. Everybody could make that same prediction. We knew that it would be true even if we didn't know how it would unfold. And it it came to pass. And for some of our families in our churches, some of our households, they are hurting now more than they could have thought that they would at the beginning of this year. And we all need a deep word for our deep suffering, a word that is so good that it really does change Everything. That it changes our perspective. It changes our thoughts. It affects how we view the different setbacks and difficulties that we experience in this life. When I was coming up to the church yesterday morning, I was just thinking about vacation. Because I was thinking about the different difficulties and distresses that our church family is experiencing right now. And I don't experience them just like you do. But I experience them. I'm not not unaffected by them. I mean, your difficulties, your distresses and stresses make me sigh and make me pace and, of course, send me to my knees. So yesterday morning, I was just thinking about I need to get away. I need to take a little break for a while and rest, rejuvenate, reorganize, get renewed, back home with my family for a couple weeks. And then I came into this, into the Word. I spent five minutes in intense prayer. The intensity of the prayer was because of the things I was thinking about. Five, min- five minutes of intense prayer. Then I got into this Word, and the Spirit spoke to me through the Word and said, you need this more than you need to get away. And church family, you need to get this Word that I'm about to share with you more than you need to get away more than you need greener grass or any kind of temporary relief that this world has to offer us, you need to get this word in you. You, the Bible says, have overcome the world. You have overcome the world. Sometimes circumstances... And there's so much that's a big umbrella right there, circumstances. You can talk about illnesses, relational issues, financial uncertainties, insecurities, doubts, fears, circumstances um, can sometimes just lay you out cold, knock you to the mat. Imagine somebody, imagine when you come to, you're kind of seeing double, You just been knocked out and somebody's standing over you and says you won and you're like what what are you talking about a won i just got knocked out and as soon as i can move i'm going to try to knock you out <laughs> what do you mean you won it sounds like you're just you're just blowing smoke you you better have a a good solid ground for that good word that i won This is John's good word for people who are in crisis. He is saying, you won. And so that they will take it to heart, he gives them solid rock ground in order to believe it. This is the word of God. Look at 1st John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In John's usual repetitious, intense way, he says three times in these two verses that the world is overcome for the person who has been born of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we settle before you now. We, we still our hearts before you. And we want a good word from you. We know that every time we come into your word, we get a good word. All scripture is, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction for training in righteousness but we know father there are just there 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 are these bits and these pieces that on their own change everything the the word is so good that if we really take it to heart and believe it our perspective will be changed even as we go on from crisis to crisis from things going from good to bad to even worse. This this word, Father, outlives all of the circumstances. This word continues to speak even after our complaints will, will finally stop. This word goes on. That we have, in Christ, overcome the world. So, I pray, Father, that you would make us get it today that it wouldn't just be food for thought, it would be something that settles down deep into our souls and right into our bones. I pray that it would be a true help for those who are going through difficulty. So many, Father, need special help today. Where there is that need, I pray that you would provide. Bring glory to yourself by our response to what you have said. And give to us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John is dealing with people who are in crisis as he writes this letter. These people are experiencing a a spiritual crisis especially. They are unsure of the truth and they are unsure of themselves. And I just want to refresh you on why because it's been a little while since we've gone over this you may recall that certain members of the churches had left. They had bought into false teaching, and they had apostatized. They had turned their backs on Jesus and his church, and they had left. And and John says very forcefully about them, these are antichrists that signify to us that it is the last hour. They are not the antichrists, the They are antichrists in his shape and in his form, a, a foreshadowing of that ultimate one to come. They signify to us that it is the last hour. They are false prophets. They left the church, and by leaving us, departing from us, they showed that they were never truly of us to begin with. So these false teachers left the church, but they didn't leave to leave the church alone. They left so that they could continue to assault the church from the outside with their false teachings, and you may recall also that these false teachings were rooted in Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism—it's comes from a word, a Greek word, "gnosis," which means knowledge. And this wouldn't become a, a full-blown theology and philosophy until the second century. But this teaching that they were hearing already had its roots in that. It was a, a proto-gnosticism, if you will. And so, Gnosticism prizes knowledge above everything. Especially this, this esoteric, mysterious knowledge of, um, of the spiritual mysteries. And everybody needs this knowledge if they're going to get saved. And so, it's very elitist feeling. It's, a, the, the people who are Gnostics thought we're the ones who are in the know. And all of these simple, simpleton, Bible-believing fundamentalists, they, they don't know anything. They don't have a handle on the truth. They don't know the truth. They don't know who Jesus is. We're the ones who are in the know. And so this really seriously affected a lot of the church members who, who were in these congregations that John was writing to. They didn't know if they knew anymore they they thought well who really knows who jesus is do we know jesus or do they know jesus do we know the truth or do they know the truth i don't know do you know who knows and so john in this lovingly intense repetition of his keeps hammering away with a a tender hammer you know you know you know And and i repeat myself three times, because John repeats himself about three dozen times in some form or another. He tells the people, you're the ones who know. And so he's very deliberately uh, working to reinforce their their assurance using the very language of the false teachers by telling them, you know, you know. And so you also may recall that to reassure these believers, John administers three tests. And they come up again and again and again in this letter. And if you don't remember that by now, I don't think you're going to remember it because we've been saying it for these, these five chapters now. So there are three tests. There's a doctrinal test of faith, a moral test of obedience, and then there is a relational test of love. So the doctrinal test says, do you believe in God's Son? The moral test, do you obey God's commandments? And the relational test, do you love God's people? And as you take these tests and answer yes to each one of those questions, that gives you assurance that you truly have been born of God and know Him. So let me give you three verses very quickly so you can see this. First John 2.29. John says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, whoever loves has been born of God. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, which we looked at last week, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So, again, I'm going to say it very quickly. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Whoever loves has been born of Him. And everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of Him. And then finally, You have this word as kind of a sum total of those those different pieces. You have this conclusion in the beginning of verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. The obedience test, if you pass it, you know that you've been born of him. The relational test, if you love, you know that you have been born of him. In the doctrinal test, if you believe Jesus is the Christ, you know those three things together. You have been born of him. And then it says everyone who has been born of him overcomes the world. I realize that, that sometimes we just want to get away from it all. We want to get away from the pressures of life. We just wish we could fly off and, and not take any of those issues with us. Just leave them all behind. Or we have this, the greener grass mentality. Well, maybe if I move, you know, to another state or something, uh, or out of the country altogether, maybe these problems will go away. We, we want those kinds of things and everybody thinks that way. So I don't know what your latest is, your latest difficulty, your distress. It, it might be an illness. It might be a loss in, in your family. It might be some stubborn, unchanging soul that has you so distressed. You may have had a a terrible last week and next week looks like much more of the same on and on into the indeterminable future. And so we complain. And I'm not saying that our complaints aren't legitimate. I'm not saying that in a negative way. But to every complaint we make, John answers with the same thing, I think. We have a point. We make a point to John. You could just go round and round with John. John says, you have overcome the world. But you say, there's this person. True, you have overcome the world. But where's the money going to come from? We'll see. You have overcome the world. But where is this illness going to lead? I don't know. You have overcome the world. And we might think, I don't think that John gets it. (laughs) Maybe he doesn't know how serious this thing really is. I think the problem is that we don't get it. I think that we fail to take the truth of the word of God to heart. And John knows that. And I think that's why in verses 4 and 5 he repeats himself so much. I thank God for John's repetition because I am forced to read three times that the world is overcome. Everyone who obeys has been born of God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who believes in Jesus has been born of God. And everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you need a word that changes everything and this is that word but again it's kind of like you know if circumstances just knock you cold and you come to to somebody saying you won they better not be blowing smoke they better have a good ground reasoning for them to say that you have won because it doesn't feel like that when circumstances lay you out flat it doesn't feel like you are the winner it feels like you have been defeated but john is telling us You won. So what is the ground for this? And that begins in verse 4, and it continues on all the way through verse 13. John gives us the solid ground that we stand upon. Faith, he says, overcomes the world, and our faith stands upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. It stands upon the gospel. I know you've heard the gospel before. I know you hear the gospel. It should be every Sunday that you come. If not, if I have failed in a Sunday, at least I, I can say that just about every Sunday you come, you hear the gospel. And you should hear the gospel. So I know you've heard this word before. But this is, we need to get the gospel constantly. We need to meditate upon the gospel truth and realize its implications. And the implication that we're going to focus on today of the gospel is that we have overcome the world. So, let's begin in verse 6 now. Let me start in verse 5 just to make it a smoother transition. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The faith that John identifies in verses 4 and 5 that overcomes the world stands upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, verse 6, this is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now I understand that the beginning of verse 6 is pretty strange phrasing. Unlike anything that we find throughout the rest of the New Testament, I think that John is deliberately picking up upon the vocabulary of the false teachers and employing it against them. This idea of Jesus coming by the water and not by the water only, but by the blood. You see, the heretics that John was dealing with, that the churches were dealing with, were likely led by a man by the name of Sorinthus. Um Sorenthus is a guy that we know from Irenaeus, who was writing in the second century. And he identified Sorenthus as the main opponent of the apostle John. There's this little story I have to tell you real quick that Irenaeus tells. He says that um, John was with uh, some of his companions going to the the public bathhouse of, of Ephesus to wash. And, uh, he, he goes into the, the bathhouse and he finds that, that Sorinthus is there. And as soon as he sees Sorinthus there, he leaves, he says, let us fly from here, lest the house come down upon that enemy of the truth. So I don't know, that's not Bible, that's just uh, the word of uh, second century history, but I think it's interesting. Sorinthus denied that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. In fact, Serenthus denied that he, he made a distinction between Jesus and the Christ. He said that he is not Jesus Christ. Jesus, he said, is, um, he was a very moral but very mortal man. In fact, he said he wasn't even virgin born, it was through a, a natural conception. Uh, with uh, Joseph and Mary. He wasn't virgin born. And so when Jesus, this very moral but very mortal man, came to his baptism, the Christ Spirit descended upon him. And then from him, the Christ Spirit departed before Jesus was crucified. And so for the space of those three years or so, Jesus, the very moral but very mortal man, had the Christ spirit upon him. And John basically says, no, I don't think so. Jesus didn't become the Christ or receive the Christ spirit, whatever mumbo jumbo that means. Jesus, the son of God, came in the flesh and he came by water at his baptism, just as Charinthus and his fellow heretics were conceded, were teaching, but he did not. So this wording is very deliberate. So he says he came by water but he did not come by water only. He came by the water and by the blood at his crucifixion, which fact the false teachers didn't concede. They didn't believe. They didn't teach. Because John knew if Jesus is, has just received the Christ or become the Christ in some sense for a space of three, three years, but not the, the crucifixion, we don't have salvation. We don't have any cleansing from our sin. John Stott writes, So John emphasizes not just that he came, but especially that he came by water and blood, since it is, it is his blood which cleanses from sin. So John was dealing with the false teachers specifically in verse 6, and he concludes from this, And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. In verse 6, the end of verse 6, this is simply the Spirit doing what the Spirit does. Bringing us a word that changes everything. Church family, there are all kinds of people in our churches today who are looking for a word from the Spirit that changes everything. But so very often, these people looking for a word from the Spirit that changes everything aren't even looking in the Bible. They might not even be looking for words, per se. They're waiting on feelings. They're waiting on impressions, maybe a good vibe from the Spirit, or something like that. The word that the Spirit bears that changes everything is always gospel-centered. And it's always gospel-specific. And it always has to do, obviously, with Jesus. The Spirit testifies to Jesus. Always. And so we're, we're not to wait for a word that is mystical, that is esoteric, that just comes out of, you know, that's not even related to the Gospel, not even related to the Bible. We're to meditate upon the Gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the testimony Of the Holy Spirit the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth and the Spirit testifies to that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh come by water and come by blood don't wait for some kind of vibe or impression that actually sounds more Gnostic than it does Christian because the Gnostics didn't like things that were physical they said the physical world, the world of matter is actually evil and the spiritual is good. So they even regarded the body as principally evil. And so they were dependent upon all of these esoteric things and they, they liked visions and they liked things that were very fantastical and so on and so forth. So a lot of Christians today in looking for a word from the Spirit that's not related to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not related to what Jesus has done in time and space and history, what He accomplished in His physical body, coming by water and by blood, dying for us and being raised for us, it really does sound a lot more Gnostic than it does Christians. So let's be careful. How does the baptism of Jesus and the cross of Jesus bear testimony to Him that He is the Son of God? Because it is in our faith that Jesus is the Son of God that overcomes the world. So how do His baptism and His cross testify that He is the Son of God? Do you remember at His baptism, God the Holy Spirit came down and remained upon Him as God the Father from Heaven declared over His Son, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus in time, went to the cross and made propitiation for our sins, laid down His life, and He bore the divine wrath and poured out human blood. And after the scenes of the cross had unfolded, the century who was there and the others who were gathered with Him said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so it is clear in these two historical events that there is testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. John says, for there are three that testify. In the Old Testament, the Lord said that if a case was going to be proven for or against, there had to be at least two or three witnesses. And so John marshals together these three witnesses and, uh, gives them to us that God, these witnesses that God himself has sent on behalf of his son. The spirit who is the living witness of the three and the water and the blood to event witnesses. And John says these three agree and their agreement is this. Jesus is truly the son of God. In verse nine, John says, if we receive the testimony of man and we can and we do, the testimony of God is greater. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. You know, people can give you a a report and you'll be duly affected by their report. Good report, you know, might progress your hope. A bad report regresses hope. And people give us a report, some kind of testimony to something that happened or whatever, and we're duly affected by it. And that's completely normal and natural. But John is saying, if you believe the word of man, How much more should you believe the word of God? Because God is greater and he has a greater word. And he says at the end of verse 9, For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Will you believe in the testimony word of God that he has given to us concerning his son, who he is and what he has done? And you say, yes, I I believe that word. I, I have believed that testimony word for a long time. But is it changing your perspective on things? Is it making you realize that you have overcome the world? Really, what word are you listening to these days, church family? Are you listening to the word of men? Are you listening to the word of the media? Are you listening more maybe to circumstances? Are you listening to the little snippets that you're getting from the devil as he whispers in your ear, encouraging your doubt or your fear or your bitterness or whatever? Who are you listening more to? If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. We must believe in the word that he has given to us concerning his Son. So as I was thinking about this, you know very quickly, as I was saying before, you know the spirit spoke to me, and I, I was thinking about the things that our church family is going through, the things that have been shared with me, that are causing some people a lot of distress these days. and it's not one household, it's not two households, it's not three households. It's multiple households that have deeper suffering than they expected at the beginning of the year, I think. And I was thinking about what you're going through, and it, you know, it affects me, again, as I was saying earlier. It bothers me a lot. And it should bother any you know brother or sister of yours that hears. It should bother any, any pastor that's worth his salt. should bother us. And the Spirit said to me, this is a word for you too. You have overcome the world. Yeah, but there's this situation. You have overcome the world. But there's that person, and I I don't know how this is going to work out. This is really bothering me. You have overcome the world. That's the truth. We must believe the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son and the effects, the implications for our lives. We have overcome the world. Whoever does not believe God Actually, I'm skipping ahead. I'm sorry. Whoever believes in the Son of God, beginning of verse 10, has the testimony in himself. So, you know, you hear a word of man, the testimony of man comes from outside. Maybe it's a TV, internet report or something. We, we receive the testimony of man that way. We also receive the gospel in that way because, I mean, you're hearing it right now from outside of you. It's descending upon your ears and sound waves and going into your mind, and so on. But God says that His testimony concerning His Son is in us. It's not something that's just to affect us from without. It's something that He plants within. He wants His Word to be internalized. And so that's why John wrote earlier in chapter 2, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Internalize it. And the Holy Spirit who dwells within you is speaking that word. Again, not some mystical word, esoteric, not something in riddles, not vibes, good feelings, impressions, but something solid, something concrete concerning God's Son. What He has done, who He is, and what He has done has changed everything for us. So important that we believe this word, because look at the end of verse 10. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be guilty of calling God a liar. So we must believe in this testimony word about his Son. I cannot possibly stress to you enough the passion of the pleasure that God has in his Son. When you stand before God on judgment day, uh, I wish I could remember right offhand how we sang it a moment ago in uh, the Rock of Ages, the song 342, I think it is. Yes. When I, while I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, Let me hide myself in Thee. I don't know what the exact scenario is going to be on Judgment Day. But if you should be asked why you should be allowed into the glory, speak about Jesus and heaven will boast over you. Say, Jesus came by water and by blood and heaven will sing. God, it cannot be possibly overestimated, the passion of the pleasure that God has in His Son. So what would it be then not to believe the word that He has given to us concerning Jesus? The person who does not believe that word will bear God's wrath forever and there will be no relief from it. God has told us He has sent His Son. Jesus came in the flesh came by water and blood. The Bible says he came in the flesh and then that God condemned our sin in his flesh. Romans 8.3. And so we must believe this word because if we reject it, we will be forever lost. And this is the testimony, John says in verses 11 and 12, and he, he kind of expands on it now. He takes it further. He says it, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you are struggling with words to come up with when you're sharing the faith with someone, and you just want it to be really simple and really clear, but very accurate, here's a couple of verses for you. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. You have the Son. You have life. You don't have the Son. You don't have life. It's not can't get any more black and white Clear and simple than that. First John 4, 11 and 12. If you have somebody that you're sharing the faith with right now, those would be two verses that would be very helpful to share with them. All that you need is Jesus. Church family who are struggling with difficulties and stresses, all you need is Jesus. That's the conclusion of verses 11 and 12. Take away the world. Take away everything. And if you, if you have Jesus, you still have everything. And I'm not saying we don't weep. I'm not saying that setbacks and struggles don't affect us and stress us and lead to sleepless nights. They do. But you have everything if you have Jesus. Life is in God's Son. God has opened the storehouses of heaven and the windows of heaven and poured out blessing in his son. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. He has not withheld anything because he has given to us Jesus. Jesus is all that we need. In him is life. If We have Jesus. We have life. If we have life in Jesus, we have overcome the world. That's the truth of the gospel. Those are the implications. This is the word that changes everything. You have won. Victory is yours. So how can we know this? What grounds do we have to believe this? John is promising us that we have overcome the world because God is speaking to us about his Son. Jesus came by the water, not by the water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit and the water and the blood together testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in the flesh. And in Him, all who believe have eternal life. That's the testimony Word of God. This is the Word that changes everything. In Him we have life. By life in Him, we have overcome the world. Do you, right now, believe the Word from God about Jesus? There's always a question about where you're going to run for help and relief when you're struggling. When you need some comfort, where do you go? And it's easy for Christians to flee to the things of the world, to look for some kind of relief, to just kind of, you know, abate the feelings that we're we're struggling with. You don't need to go to the world. You have overcome the world. Whatever reliefs and pleasures the world can give are temporal. They're passing away. The world is going down. In Jesus, we have overcome the world. The world without Jesus is nothing. Nothing but Jesus is everything. Those who are born of Him have overcome the world. Close with this. The other day I was watching the Toronto Blue Jays highlights. By the third inning, they're down 8-0. And I was smiling the entire time. I loved it. With every run that the Cincinnati Reds scored, I loved it more because I knew the outcome of this game already. I knew that the Blue Jays were going to come back storm back and they were going to win that game 14 to 9. So I didn't care how many runs the other team scored because I knew that every setback would be overcome and in fact the more runs they scored the other team the sweeter the victory would be in the end. Now that's not quite the same as our current struggles. Because like I said I didn't care how many times they the other team scored. Well we care. We care about our setbacks and we we stress it and, and we get very concerned and we have sleepless nights and we have tears and so on. But there are two things I believe that are the same. First of all, we know from the word of God that every setback, no matter how many there are, will be overcome in the end. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes The world. And I think there's a second thing that's the same too. The more setbacks we experience, the sweeter will be that victory in the end. I believe that one day, not yet, but one day we will look back and we will actually smile over those things because we will realize how God used them to further us on to glory. How he used them in our lives and other people's lives. How he used them to draw us closer to himself and make us more dependent upon him and force us to rest in him and say, you are all I have now. And we will smile over them and over the, the multitude of them because each one of them made our victory in the end all the more sweet. So weep now but don't live like you have been defeated. Because the Word of God declares everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's God's promise. Those are the implications of the Gospel. Let's meditate on this Word. May it change our perspective. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus' coming And we thank You for this revelation about Him. We thank You for Your testimony. And it's it's so awesome to think about, Father, we're not even just reading this on the page. We're not even just hearing it on our ears from outside. You have put the testimony concerning Your Son by Your Spirit within us. This Word is not far from any one of us, but it is within us to be believed And so I pray, Father, that my church family would internalize this word. I pray that they would be baptized in it, so to speak. I pray that they would enjoy it. I pray that they would stand on it. I pray that they would be strengthened by it. They would fight by it. And they would live by it. That in Jesus, we have life. And in Jesus, we have overcome the world. So like our brothers and sisters in the first century, we hurt, we cry, we doubt, and we fear. But I pray, Father, that just like them, we would not live defeated. I pray that we would live victorious, resting in what Jesus has done for us. And I pray that it would be all to Your honor and glory. Work this word within our hearts. Change us by it, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.